Welcome to the Redeemer Community Church Podcast. The following audio is from Redeemer Community Church, located in Johnson City, Tennessee. We hope it will be encouraging to you as you listen. Welcome. Glad you guys are here. We're going to be looking at uh, the Gospel of Luke today. So if you've got your Bible with you, if you would, open up to Luke chapter 5. And uh, if you can switch over to the ESV, that's the version that we're going to be reading from. But start in Luke chapter 5. And we're doing a series this month on spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines. And uh, we're calling it spiritual nutrition. Um, Because just like in your regular physical health, there are practices, there are things you can eat and uh, things you can do with your time that will make your body healthy and, and that it will thrive. But there are also things that you can put into your body and things that, habits that you have that, that destroy your health. And so we're going to be talking about those spiritual practices that are, that are good nutrition for us. And, uh, and so we're going to be talking about today the practice of prayer. The practice of prayer. And I'm excited about uh, speaking to you all about that. Uh, when I think about prayer... The earliest memory that I have regarding prayer is going to church and growing up at the First Presbyterian Church in Kannapolis, North Carolina, and there was always this moment in the service that was called the pastoral prayer, and that was after the sermon, and the, the minister would stand up, and he would pray this prayer, and, and it was like five to seven minutes long. It was like a serious mamma jamma prayer, and as a little kid, I remember just like, wow, this guy is going on forever. He's praying for like every, all the sick people in the church, stuff in the town, the nation, the pygmies in Africa. He's praying for all of it. And as a little kid, that was kind of hard to track with. And so I developed this little game that I would play uh, where I would say, if I can keep my eyes closed the entire time that this guy is praying, then God will bless me. <laughs> In some special way, there'll be a miracle and I'll get a new Nintendo or something uh, if I can keep my eyes closed during the entire prayer. And, uh, and so I'd always try every week, but man, after five minutes or so, my mind would wonder and suddenly I'd look around at Ann Ethel or somebody and I'd, man, I lost it. I'm not going to get it. And I tried every week, but I could never get there. Uh, that's my earliest memory of prayer. Uh, another memory that comes to mind from probably middle school or high school, my prayer life then consisted of, oh God, please let her notice me. Could I just have a date with her or even her sister? That was my prayer life. That's true. That is totally true. And, uh, and, and then from there, um, I kind of got away from really thinking a lot about Christianity, but even I can remember getting into new age kind of stuff and, and trying, you know, transcendental meditation and hoping I could connect with the universe. And I'd stretch out on the floor in my room and try to commune with the, you know, the galaxy. And, and I remember just felt just big and empty. Um, but then I remember being invited to my friend's church and um, where God was doing something very, very special. And I'll never forget walking into that service with her and hearing the people singing together and sensing God's presence with them and realizing this is all real. Everything I've ever heard about Jesus is real. And I began to pray in a whole different way. I began to keep going back with my friend. And, and I, every time I was there, I would just kind of hold on to the pew and just say, God, if you're, I think you're real. I think that you're real. Please just talk to me. Re- show me who you are. Help me. 
whole different kind of prayer. And it wasn't long from those kind of prayers that I met Jesus, that he put his spirit inside of my life and that he just transformed everything. My whole prayer life changed because it wasn't just me in here anymore. He was with me. And, and so today we're going to be talking about prayer. And I know that in this room, we've got people from all of those points on their spiritual journey. There's some of you that are, you'd say, I'm not a Christian. I'm kind of interested in spiritual things. Some of you would say, Hey, I just became a Christian and I'm pumped. I'm here. I'm ready to learn. Help me with this. Uh, some of you have been Christians for a long time. And, uh, even for you, as we talk about prayer today, uh, I hope you're going to be really encouraged as we just get called back to what's one of the most central parts of our lives with God, our lives of following Jesus. And, uh, and so we're going to look at Jesus's life and see the role that prayer played in his life and how he taught his original followers, which that's just what we are. We're following him. We're uh, disciples. We're apprentices of Jesus. And so uh, if you'll look with me in Luke 5, uh, I'm going to take a quick, we're going to run through several pages of this and just show you excerpts from Luke's gospel. Now, the gospels, those are first century biographies of the life of Jesus, and uh, there's four of them in the New Testament. But here's what Luke had to say in uh, chapter 5, verse 15. But now, even more, the report about him, that's Jesus, went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Flip over, flip the page to chapter 6, verse 12. I'll show you the next little part. Do you see these little scenes? We're going to build something off of this. In chapter 6, verse 12, it says, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. Go over to chapter 9, verse 18. Flip a, flip a couple pages. Chapter 9, verse 18. Chapter 9, verse 18 says, Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And then if you skip down the page to verse 28, same chapter, just a little bit further down, it says, now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up to the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. So we see Jesus getting away to desolate places, going up on the mountains. Any Roan Mountain fans here? That's a great place to go pray, hike on up there. Keep flipping. Go over to chapter 11. Chapter 11, verse 1. And we're going to see him doing this. Doing this. He, he's kind of finding praying all the time. It says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Stop right there. Jesus does a whole lot of things as we, as we read through a gospel. We see him healing the sick, casting out demons, helping people that are hurting. But the only thing that his disciples, that we ever see them ask him to teach them about, to teach them how to, is they say, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. And, and that's because prayer is, it's strange. It is a strange thing because here we, we're, we're talking to someone who we can't see. 
And that can be a really unusual experience. And, and his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. Help us understand how to do this. And I think, first of all, we, we could start this off with just trying to get a definition. What is prayer? Is prayer where I, I like read this grocery list of things that I want or need uh, to God? Is, is prayer, I'm, I'm putting a message in a bottle and I throw it out to sea and hopefully it's going to get to Jesus. What is prayer? How could we define it? If I was to give you a very helpful definition of prayer, I would say that prayer is conversation with God. Conversation with God. And those words are very carefully chosen, especially the middle one, with God, because it's not just conversation or talking to God. We're not just talking, just sending it out there, but there's also, he is speaking to us. Because ultimately, even prayer, prayer is meeting with God, being in his presence. It's unlike anything else in the universe. That's what prayer is. And so that's what we're going to look at as we see Jesus talk to his disciples about what prayer is. We see that is something that was a big part of his life. And now he's going to explain, okay, guys, this is what it's going to look like. This is what it looks like in your life. And the first thing you notice in chapter 11 is it says Jesus was praying in a certain place. And, and before we even get into the rest of it, I think one of the things that can help us in our prayer life is to see that Jesus had a certain place. Maybe it's this one spot up on the mountain that he liked to go to and he, where he wasn't distracted, where it was a beautiful view or whatever, but it was a certain place where there weren't distractions, where he could connect with God. Um, he also teaches uh, in the, the Sermon on the Mount. He says, don't go out in the streets and pray the fancy prayers like all these religious elite people do, but go into a room and shut the door and pray there. And your father who sees what you do in secret will reward you. You'll meet with him. And so he was encouraging them to find that certain place. And so as you are growing in your prayer life, I want to encourage you, find a certain place. Find a certain place where it's just you getting alone with God. And maybe you've got a room in your house uh, that you can close off, or maybe you've got little kids running around your house like we do at ours, and they just they don't knock, and they don't care, and they just come right in. Uh, my wife has a certain place. It's her car. <laughs> she will go leave the house, go out and sit in her car, and that's where she has her quiet time because that's where it's quiet. And, and, I, and, and you look out there, and it looks kind of, I'm like, that looks kind of silly, but it really works. So whatever your certain place needs to be, I want to encourage you, find that certain place. Um, I, I remember uh, right after I became a Christian, I went to a, work at a summer camp. I was doing dishes, and they would have the speakers do devotions for the staff, and they had this talk on prayer and this talk on finding a certain place, and I was just like, this is awesome. I love Jesus is so good. And you saying we should like carve out some time every day to go meet with him and find a special place where we can do that. That sounds great. And my, my good friend who was in charge of the garbage at the camp, he was like, yeah, that's an awesome idea. And so the next morning I get up and I'm going out to find my certain place. And I look over at the putt-putt course that we have uh, at the campground. And, um, and my friend Matt, he's, he's like on his face in front of his Bible at hole eight. <laughs> And that's his certain place. He's like right there on the putt-putt course. Oh, God, oh, you know, praying right there. And I'm like, I, know I don't think that's a great certain place. <laughs> uh, you know, that's kind of weird. But it, it worked for him for a little while. At any rate, what's your certain place? One thing that I would encourage you to take out of this teaching today is find a place where you're not going to be distracted or interrupted. And part of finding that certain place is going to be taken, is probably going to be leaving this behind. <laughs> okay. 
especially if you're just starting out with prayer, these things are deadly. <laughs> and at least put it on airplane mode for a few minutes and you'll be surprised how much it will help you to actually connect with God. So find a certain place. That's the first thing Jesus lays out. But then he goes on. Now let's look back at the passage here. Chapter 11, verse 2. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Some of the most famous, well-known words in the world across the planet. These are probably, they might be better known than even John 3.16, that we, people have heard these, they know them, and there is a great danger in the fact that you're familiar with these words and you think, oh yeah, I've heard that, I know that, but that you miss the power that is meant to be brought into our lives through this prayer. Because what Jesus is not teaching them is, okay guys, when it's time to pray, climb up on the mountain, and then I want you to recite this 15 times, and then everything's going to be good. That's not what he was doing. What Jesus is doing with this thing called the Lord's Prayer, he was giving them a pattern. He was, he was saying, I know that prayer is hard. And man, you could say, man, I'm, I'm going to go see God. I'm going to pray my guts out. I got a secret place. Here I am. And then about two minutes later, <laughs> you're out of juice. There you go. Jesus gives this pattern to them to say, Here's, here are the places where your mind can go when you are attempting to meet with God. Here's how to do that. Here's, a, here's like a roadmap for meeting with God. And so he gives them this first place and he says, start this way, Father. Start here with Father. And for some of you today, when, when you think about God as your Father, uh, it's very hard for you not to overlay your earthly father. And, and if he wasn't a great dad, then that can create some tension and a barrier for you when you try to relate to God because it's very, very, almost everybody does it. Almost everybody takes their, their relationship with their father and then they put that onto their relationship with God. It's just, it's hard not to do that. Some of you struggle with that and, and, and because your relationship with your father is very painful. But I want to encourage you your heavenly father is a good dad. If you had a bad dad, then I want to encourage you that you have a heavenly father who is a really, really good dad, that he is faithful, that he always keeps his promises, that he knows everything that's going on in your life, and that he cares deeply for you. And I want you to hear that, that you have a good father. It's one of the, my favorite things to tell my kids is I'm not your real dad. Wait a minute. That sounds a little weird. They look just like me. Um, I love to tell my kids that I'm their earthly father, but they have a real father in heaven, and he is their ultimate father forever, and he will always be there when I can't be there with them, that he'll always do the right thing for them when I don't. I love to tell my kids that because it's the truth, and it's the same for you. You have a father in heaven who loves you. And so Jesus says, this is how I want you to orient yourselves. When you come and you want to meet with God, say that word, Father. And maybe that's just where you need to stay for a little bit, Father, and experience the love that he has for you because in Christ, you are adopted 
as his son. Before Christ, we are spiritual orphans. We're actually spiritual enemies towards God. But in Jesus, his son, he becomes our father. And that is good news for today. So Jesus says, pray this, Father, hallowed be your name. Hallowed? (laughs) What does that even mean? Hallowed be that lamp. We have no idea. It's such, it's a totally weird religious word. So we need to define it. The word hallowed means to be set apart as holy. To be set apart as holy is when you hallow something. It means it's set apart as holy. And what does holy mean? Holy means that something is totally unique and totally pure and beautiful and moral and good and excellent. That's that, holy is just a huge word, um, but it's got so much power. And that's why we could sing a song earlier that just said, holy, holy, holy. And so that phrase, hallowed be your name, means God that may your your holiness, may you, when he says your name, that really means you, God. He says, may you be set apart, be treasured as totally unique and perfect and wonderful. May you be our, my great treasure. And that's the second place that God's orienting. He's saying, Jesus says, start with father. And then, but then I want you to just take a minute and look at how big and how great and how good he is. Uh, Jeff prayed earlier about, we go out into the night sky and you look up and you see the stars and you feel the awe. Or if you've ever walked up to the edge of the Grand Canyon or been through the Redwood Forest and you feel the awe that's there, that that's the thing that God's saying, as you start your prayer, come to the place where you know he's your father and that he is awesome and that you're looking at him and it is affecting you in a deep way. That's where prayer starts. Most of the time we start our prayers kind of consist of, Lord, please let her notice me. <laughs> or if something's going really bad, we're going right to that. But God says on a, on a regular basis, in a regular part of your prayer life, start with remembering that he's your father and remembering how good, how big, how great, how holy he is. Because that's really what our hearts need. Because you become what you behold. And if you spend your life looking at little things and worrying about little things, which the things of this earth are not that big, they're not that big. And if that's all you're focused on, your heart will shrink and contract to that. But if you spend some time looking at the greatness of God, you will find that your heart expands, that your eyes are open to there's something bigger going on here that I am part of. And so that's why Jesus gives us this intro to the prayer. And and the next part goes right with it because he says, your kingdom come. You are father, you are awesome, and your kingdom needs to come here. Not my kingdom. Because that's the real tension between you and God. The real tension is whether or not you're going to say, thy will be done or whether or not you're going to eventually just let God say to you, thy will be done. Somebody's going to say it. Thy will be done. Man, that's going to be heaven. Okay, thy will be done. That's going to be hell. There's a tension between our kingdom and his kingdom. There is a call to die to our kingdom and to say, I want God's kingdom to come. I want your kingdom. I want you to be the king. I want you on the throne of my life. 
I want you in the center. That's the one thing I like. I know it's weird for those of you that are first timers here and we sit in a circle and it's, it's kind of weird looking out like this, but I hope that the one thing you will always remember is that we, one of the reasons we do that is that you would remember Jesus is in the center. Jesus is in the center. That's who we're gathered around. And so he says, your kingdom come. In his prayer in the garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus was facing his execution, he prayed, oh God, if there's any way that this could not happen, please, if there, is there any other way? But not my will be done, but thy will be done. And he was willing to die for the kingdom to come. God wants his kingdom to come. And as you are um, spending time in regular prayer, that's a, that's a place to go in your prayer life is to say, Lord, I, I want your kingdom to come. And then let the Holy Spirit highlight, well, where? Where does God's kingdom need to come? And he might bring to mind, um, Paul says, you know, hey, I want you guys to pray for government leaders, the people that lead your cities and your towns, your nations. Pray for them that they would be saved. Pray for them that they'd be filled with wisdom. Maybe God, instead of having you complain and run your mouth about political leaders, Maybe God wants you to pray for them. Wouldn't that be a good use of your time? I don't know. God might want you to pray for some other part of your city. I, I think about uh, Lindsay and I, we moved, uh, we lived downtown for many years, and we moved to downtown when it was not cool. <laughs> uh, there was not much going on. The Castillos were doing some good stuff, but it was struggling. It was a, it was a scary place and a lot of dead blown out buildings. It was kind of like, I always thought of it. It's like a, this, a woman smiles and like she's missing a bunch of her teeth, uh, you know, and it's just like, oh, we need to get some dental work going on here. We still got some buildings like that, but we're working on them. We lived downtown and it was a rough place. And, and so one of the things that as we prayed your kingdom come, we would go walk these streets and we would literally start at the top up where the, um, the news station is. And we would pray for every single building and ask for God's kingdom to come in every single spot for all the, the people that were running those businesses, the employees, whatever was going on that we'd pray, God be glorified in our downtown, do something in our downtown and walk all the way down founders park, which is so beautiful. It used to be like a blown out concrete slab as far as the eye could see with rebar and graffiti all over it, and it was a mess. And now you start to see our downtown is changing and it's being renewed, and that is a picture of God's kingdom coming. That's, the, that's an impact that God wants us to have. When he put Adam and Eve in the garden, he said, don't leave it a garden, cultivate it, build a city, a garden city in the middle of things. God wants us to renew our city and that things are better because we're here. And that's an example of the kingdom coming. So Jesus says, pray for that. Let your kingdom come. But he goes on in the next section. He says, thy will be done. Let your kingdom come. And he says, give us each day our daily bread. Give us each day our daily bread. So now God has said, think about me as father. Think about his awesomeness. Pray for the kingdom to come. But not just these big things, but you can pray for the smallest, most basic thing that you need in your life. The smallest, most basic thing, pray for that. Pray for your kingdom to come. Uh, pray for this daily bread as well. And here's the thing. You spend a lot of time worrying about your life. You spend a lot of time thinking about this and that. And if you know how to worry, you know how to pray. Because worrying is just praying to yourself. So if you know how to worry and you know how to think, oh, God, how's this going to work out? What's going on? What's going on? And you're thinking and thinking and your brain's spinning. If you know how to worry, you know how to pray. Paul said, be anxious for nothing, but 
pray about everything. It's Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing. And so if you've got anxiety stuff going on, maybe this is the part of the Lord's Prayer, this pattern that God's going to highlight for you to say, man, I'm anxious about this. I'm worried about this. Don't just let it spin around in your head. Don't just let it be conversation between you and your friends, but turn it into prayer and you'll see how God shows up. When you take the things that you're worried about, your anxieties, and they can be as small as, what am I going to eat today? I need some bread to whatever, you're my, whatever you might be facing. He says, give us this day our daily bread. And then in the next section, he says this, forgive us our sins. Forgive us our sins. And so as part of our daily, this regular times of meeting with God, there's a place for us to go where we say, where am I at in my relationship with God? Um, when this says forgive us our sins, it's not talking about um, when you initially experience salvation. And what happens, what, uh, the great news of the gospel is that Jesus has died. And when he died on the cross, he paid the penalty that all the sins you've ever sinned and all the sins you ever will sin. And just the fact that you are by nature a sinner, that all of that was paid for on the cross, covered by his blood, and you, you are good to go. You are justified, all right? That's the gospel. But as we go through our lives, we still sin. And that sin, it messes up our relationship with God. And if we don't know what to do with it, if we just ignore it, it's kind of like if you get dirty and, and you decide to stop taking baths, <laughs> stuff festers. You get some stuff growing. High school guys, I'm talking to you. Uh, just kidding. If you don't deal with, when you get dirty, if you don't wash it off, it festers. It turns into something really, a real problem. And our spiritual lives are the same way. If I don't know what to do with the sin that's happening regularly in my life, then it's just going to fester and it's going to grow and it's going to cause some real problems. And so that's why Jesus says, as part of your daily time of meeting with me, take a moment and just consider, is there sin that you need to confess and ask for God to forgive you? And, you, and the good news is, whatever is going on in our lives, we can bring it to him and he offers us forgiveness, that he cleanses us and that he shows us a way forward where we turn from that and we turn to him. And so I want to encourage you, don't let sin fester in your life. If there's something that God puts his finger on, take it, say, oh, you're right. That's what confession is, is just saying, God, you're right. And I'm sorry, please help me. And is there anything I need to do in my relationships or in my life to live a different way that we experience the power of confession, which leads us to experience forgiveness, which I just, I, I can tell you guys, there's nothing that you've done that when you bring it to him, there's nothing that you've done that is bigger than the cross. There's nothing that you've done that's made you so dirty that the blood of Jesus won't cleanse you and make you new. There is nothing. You can experience that today. So it's good news. He goes on from there and he says, we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Here's a turn. We ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And that reminds us to apply the gospel to our relationships because the thing that one of the things that will destroy your relationships is when people sin against you, people do something wrong and you can't forgive them and you hold on to it. And when you hold on to unforgiveness, it's like taking a razor blade and putting it in your mouth and swishing it around. 
it only hurts you. That's what bitterness and unforgiveness does. And God knows that. And that's why he's talking to you about. And the reality is it is really hard to forgive people who have wronged you. And maybe they've wronged you over and over and over again or in profound ways that someone has hurt you so deeply. And it's such a wound that you don't know what to do about it. And that to forgive them seems like the most impossible thing in your life. And yet here's God saying, forgive them. So where do you get the strength to forgive that person? You don't have it within you. But when you look at Jesus and you remember that he died on the cross for all of your sin, if you'll do that, it will give you the strength that you need to forgive that person for all of their sin, whatever they have done towards you. That's the place where you can find strength to extend forgiveness to somebody. And as God gives you strength to do that, I want to encourage you, the, the starting point, and this will be really hard for you, is just to say out loud, I forgive that person. I can't tell you how many people I've prayed with, and we've had to go there, and, and, and it's so hard just to get that out. But I want to tell you that's a great first step. I, and say it out loud, I forgive this person. And maybe that's where God is highlighting for you today is that there's somebody that you have not forgiven and you have, and you think you've got every right not to, that they've done so many wrong things and you can't possibly forgive them. And yet I want to remind you that Jesus Christ died for all of your sins to forgive you. Experience that grace and it will enable you to extend grace to that person. Jesus teaches us to pray that we would forgive others, all those who are indebted to us. In the last part, he says, lead us not into temptation. Because Jesus knows the kind of world that we live in. That in, in many ways, it's like we, we live in a red light district. It's like, actually, this thing <laughs> is a red light district, all right? Uh, and for those of you that have, are like, what's well, a red light district? We don't have one of those in Johnson City, do we? That's a place in uh, larger cities where you can get anything you want and anyone you want. And you can indulge in anything that you want and destroy your life. And Jesus says, pray, lead us not into temptation. He is very aware of the, the battle that is this life. And that there are things that um, want to destroy us. And, and in the longer version in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, um, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or deliver us from the evil one. And so Jesus believed in Satan. <laughs> you should too. C.S. Lewis said that there's two errors that people fall into when they consider Satan and demons. One is that they, they think, oh, that's just a bunch of superstition. That's just made up baloney. Uh, that's, that's, just, that's not real. That's one error is that you totally discount the supernatural. The other is that they, they emphasize it way too much, and they think there's, there's a devil behind every bush, and, you know, my water heater went out. That's the devil. Uh, that kind of off-kilter theology. Down the middle is what the Bible teaches, and that it says that there is a great leader of rebellion towards the creator of the universe, and that he is very powerful, that he is very smart, a lot smarter than you, and that he hates you, and he hates God's kingdom, and that he goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So there is a lion going about that will devour you. But the good news is, 
you know a bigger lion. <laughs> All right. Scar's prowling, but Simba's a lot bigger. <laughs> He's ready to throw down. Okay. That's good news. And I love prayer in the, in the context of spiritual warfare, because when you are facing the enemy and you're, you're saying, I was like, where are these thoughts coming from? Where's this problem coming from? And this seems like this is supernatural. And you pray in the name of Jesus and you, and, and you stand against that and you see something begin to change immediately, man, it just, it, in my life, it has just increased my respect for the Lord and for his power over evil. And so he teaches us to pray. Lead us not into temptation. Uh, Ephesians 6.10 says this, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints because we're in a battle. And so we pray accordingly. We realize that and we make that part of my prayer. When I, when my I huddle my family each morning before we go out into our day. And as we pray, this, the Lord's prayer has meant so much to me as a pattern for prayer because I, I walk through it when I'm praying with them and, and I'm praying this over my kids. I'm praying this over me and my wife. Lord, all of these things keep us from temptation, deliver us from the evil when I'm praying for those things in my life. That's the beauty of the Lord's prayer is this is a pattern that guides us into the best places. You, it's good news. You don't have to figure out your prayer life. You can ask Jesus to teach you and you can use this. If you've been a Christian for a long time, maybe your prayer life feels like real cluttered or you feel a lot of guilt about it. And you're just not like, man, I don't know. I've got all these thoughts and I've read all these books and heard all these things all my life. Here's two good thoughts for you. Number one, it's not the prayers that you haven't prayed that matter. Don't worry about that. Don't get a guilt trip. It's not the prayers that you haven't prayed that matter. It's the prayers that you do pray. That's what matters. It's the prayers that you do pray. And Jesus has given us this prayer. Get your spirituality from Jesus more than anywhere else. The best book, the best podcast. Why not go to Jesus and get your spiritual bearings from him? What a great opportunity that we have. And so Jesus gives this to us. And this pattern, it's not like, like I said, it's not a rote prayer that we just try to buzz through. And then I'm like, I'm good. Okay, this is going to be great. It's a pattern. It gives us stopping points. Um, Martin Luther, the great reformer, uh, he had a, his barber was cutting his hair one day. And he said, Martin, teach me how to pray. <laughs> Help me out here. And so Martin Luther wrote his barber a letter in which he kind of lays out, here's how to pray. And part of that letter, he says, take the Lord's prayer and work your way through it. It's a pattern. But then he gives him some great advice that I think would help us. He says, as you're praying, listen for God. And there will be times when the Holy Spirit is preaching. And in his sermon, one word is better than a thousand in our prayer. As you pray and you seek to meet with God, you actually will. That's what it's all about. You're, you're going to put your sails up and then suddenly the wind is going to fill them and God will be present with you. Go with the ghost. <laughs> Go with the Holy Spirit. 
whatever he wants to emphasize, let that be the place where you go in your prayer. You don't have to get through the whole prayer. You don't have to pray every single detail. It's not about that. It's about what God highlights for you as you follow that path and that pattern. And then the Holy Spirit is going to preach a better sermon than anybody else ever could. One word from him is the word that you need to hear that day. That's why Jesus gave us this pattern of prayer, to give us a place to go to meet with God, a pattern to follow. And I want to encourage you here. So how, what do we do, Bill? We've talked about the Lord's Prayer. So what does this change? How do we put this into practice? Here's a few thoughts. This week, pick a certain place. Pick a certain place and try to find a spot where you can go and get away from distraction, where you can pray. And then take this pattern with you and try using this pattern to guide your prayer. And whether it's five minutes or 15 minutes or 50 minutes, whatever it is, follow this pattern and just see what God opens up. See how he might lead you and grow you and how you will encounter him. That's the point. The point is to encounter Jesus. Now, here's a last thought for us. I want to transition to communion. It's part of our service. For those of you that are, re- that are new here, uh, every week we gather around the Lord's table. And as we come to the Lord's table, it represents the body and blood of Jesus that was broken and shed for us. The only way that we can pray and really come into the presence of God with any hope is because we're coming through the blood of Jesus, that we're coming through Jesus. We can't, we can't call him Father apart from Jesus. We can't come to him in all of his awesome holiness apart from Jesus. But because we can be united to Christ, we are welcome to come before the throne of the universe and talk with the God of the universe, the creator of the stars, and call him Father. And that's possible because Jesus shed his blood, broke his body for us. And so in just a minute, we're going to take communion together. There are stations around the room. There's gluten-free straight ahead that way if you need that. There are stations for you to go and take communion. And I want to encourage you, something that Jeff has mentioned over the summer has been when we take communion together, it's a great time. It's not rushed. And it's a time when you can go and think about what you've just heard and what's going on in your life. And it's a great time to pray. And I'd encourage you, if you've got your spouse or your friends with you or your roommates or some buddies, that you actually pray together during this time of communion. Grab a spot and pray with them. This is a great time to pray every single week together, together. Or if you've got something going on in your life you're really struggling with, this is a great time to grab a pastor, grab an elder or your small group leader, find them and say, hey, can you pray with me? Don't leave here without doing that. This is a great time for that prayer. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you're interested, you're, we're really glad you came today, um, while we are going and doing this Christian thing with, uh, with communion, and you're probably, wow, that's kind of interesting, I want you to think about everything you've heard today. And try praying a simple prayer of, God, show me that you're real. Show me that Jesus is really the Savior. That's where you're at. Just try it and see what happens. You'll have plenty of time um, while we're taking communion uh, to ponder those things and to try just a little bit of that kind of prayer. Can I pray for us? Father, thank you so much for uh, Jesus's guidance to us on prayer. 
You've given it to us, Lord, and I pray that you would help each of us to um, grab a hold of what you've given to us uh, and the, um, the guidance that you've given us, and that it would be a, a way that we can come and meet with you, um, a way that we can grow in our prayer lives, um, and that your, that your kingdom would come through it, that your glory would come through it that we would see your glory, that we would enjoy your glory, um, and that we would experience your glory. Lord, uh, we, we make us a praying church. Work within us to be men and women that call on the name of God, that call on the name of Jesus, that there's, there's, a, there's a new power at work and that things change when we pray and that we're confident in that. And so we thank you. And as, as, as folks gather around your table and remember your body and blood, um, we pray that, I pray that you'd reveal your mercy and that you cleanse us from everything that's made us filthy. You offer that to us, Jesus, and we are thankful. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this audio from Redeemer Community Church in Johnson City, Tennessee. You can connect with us and find out more information at RedeemerCommunity.com.